All right. All right. What are you going to need tonight that we use every week? A Bible. Yes. If you don't have one, there's some in the backs of some of the seats. There's some in the uh, on the table back there. Yep. There's still some on the table back there. Make sure you grab one of those. So what have we been talking about? <laughs> Grandma did what? Yeah. We've been walking through this series called Grandma Did What? And we've been looking specifically at Ruth over the last couple of weeks, and, and we're going to keep looking at Ruth tonight. But if you back up a little bit, we started with this idea that, that if you go through the lineage of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, you see a lot of the people that are there in his ancestry. And what Matthew did that kind of stepped out of the normal routine of the way things were done during that day is in naming all of the men, because the lineage was traced through the husband or the father and the family, what Matthew did is he actually lists out five different women in the lineage of Jesus. That in itself was a big deal. But then if you actually start looking into the lives of those women, you find there's a little bit more to what's going on here than just a name. The, the fifth one, we're only doing four of them because the fifth one is the mother of Jesus, not the grandma of Jesus. So we're backing up and we're looking at those four women that are listed out as the grandmas of Jesus in his lineage and kind of what God has done through them and in their lives while they're a part of that family. And there's some crazy stuff that goes on here. In fact, the first week we looked at a lady, do you remember what her name was? Tamar, yes. Tamar was a lady who, who had a husband. Her husband died, and then the next husband didn't want to help her have a son, so she lied and, and did some crazy stuff just so that she could have a kid. And, and that's a woman who's in the lineage of Jesus. And then you've got the next lady that we talked about a couple weeks ago. What was her name? Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. She lived in the city of Jericho, and when the Israelite nation came to take over Jericho and defeat Jericho, she actually hid the spies from the Israelite nation in her house so that they wouldn't get caught. And she made this deal with them. Hey, if, if you'll protect my family when you come in and take over the city, I, I'll, I'll take care of you and I'll make sure you don't get caught. And that's actually what happens. And then God takes her and God grafts her into that Israelite nation and into the lineage of Jesus that we see there in Matthew chapter 1. And that brings us to who have we been looking at the last two weeks? Ruth. I, I, I figured for sure everybody's going to answer that one because it's right there on the screen. We've been looking at Ruth. And Ruth is this lady in the, in the book of the, or excuse me, in the Old Testament, you've got a book with her name on it. So for these other ladies, we've been walking through these grandmas, just a, a specific passage in the Old Testament, just a group of verses that are in a larger book of what's going on in the history of the nation of Israel. But when it comes to Ruth, there's an entire book dedicated to the account of what happens with Ruth. Now, it's not a big book. There's only four chapters. In the last two weeks, we've walked through the entire first chapter. Tonight, we're going to walk through the entire second chapter. It's a pretty short book. But let me ask you the questions that I ask you every time we walk through a book of Scripture. Who do we believe wrote this book of Ruth? Yeah, we have no idea. Okay? Unlike the New Testament books where Paul introduces himself, two-thirds of the books in the New Testament are written by Paul, and he always tells people who he is and that he's the one writing it. In the Old Testament, we don't always get that. We don't always know who the author is. So for Ruth, we don't know who that author is. But we do have an idea of when we think it was written. Does anybody have a guess for that? Yes, yeah, so sometime around or sometime after 1010, excuse me, BC. And there are two key themes that we see in this book. What are they? 
Kindness and redemption. Some of you guys have really good notes. If you don't know the answers to some of these questions I'm asking and you want to be prepared for next week, I can recommend you do two things. Either take notes as we're going through. If you don't have a notebook, there's blue ones right there on that back table. Say KF students on it. Take one of those. It's yours to have. Keep it right in it. I've got one up here. Somebody's got Minecraft instructions in it. So you can do whatever you want with it. But I, I advise you or encourage you to take notes in it so you'll know what we're talking about. The other way that you can find out what you've missed is if you go back and, and pull up Spotify or Amazon podcast or Apple podcast. We've got a KF student podcast where you can listen to what you've missed here on a Wednesday night so you can go back and kind of see what we've talked about so far. So tonight, we're going to jump into Ruth chapter 2, and we're going to go through the entire chapter. So that means when I ask you right now to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word, you're going to have to stand for an entire 23 verses. Do you guys think you can do that? I'm going to take care of it tonight, Nathan. Thank you for being willing, though. Okay, so Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. Follow along with me and see what happens here tonight. It says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan Elimelech, of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? 
Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living for the, or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with these young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we can be here tonight. God, we thank you that we can take a few moments out of our, our busy day and focus on you and focus on your word. And God, I pray that as we, as we walk through this tonight, God, help us to see what it is we're supposed to learn. Why does this that was written so long ago matter to us today? God, help us to be changed because we've been in your word and been in your presence and walk out of here living that out tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So that's a, that's a lot of verses. So we're going to back up and we're going to kind of walk through this and see what's going on here because we're going to go all the way through this chapter. So let me start again in verse 1. We'll just read the first three verses. It says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. So there's four names here in this passage, and we've already encountered three of them when we walk through the first chapter of the book of Ruth. You've got Naomi, who was the wife of this guy, Elimelech. Now what happened, if you don't remember, in chapter 1, we saw that Naomi and her husband Elimelech, they lived in this place called Judah, which is back where they are now. But there was a famine in the land, so they needed food, so they, they took a risk. They left Judah, and they went to this place called Moab. And if you remember me talking about it, those two, those two people groups, they weren't friends. They were enemies. So that famine in Judah had to be pretty severe, pretty bad to force this couple to pack up and to move to a land where they weren't really wanted. But they go there so that they can have food, so that they can provide for themselves. And it tells us in chapter 1 that not long after they get there, Elimelech dies. So now Naomi has got a family. She's got two sons and she doesn't have a husband to provide for her. Now, as I've talked about before, during that time, it wasn't like she could just go out and get a part-time job and start providing for herself. During this time, a woman was dependent upon her husband or upon her sons to be taken care of. So scripture tells us that even though her husband is dead, she still has two sons, so she's okay. Those boys, they grow up, they marry two Moabite women, but then something bad happens again and her two sons die. So now you've got Naomi, who's got these two ladies that her sons have married, and she's got no way to provide for them. So she decides, when she hears that the famine is leaving Judah, she decides, I'm going to go back to my homeland, and I'm going to tell my daughter-in-laws to stay here, to go back to the homes of their parents, because if they do that, they have the chance to get remarried, they have a chance to have a husband, and to have children, and to be taken care of. 
And that's what we walk through in in Ruth chapter 1 because her one daughter-in-law, Orpah, says she's going to go back and live with her parents. But her daughter-in-law by the name of Ruth, the lady that this book is named after, she takes a much different approach. She vows to Naomi that she's going to go wherever Naomi goes. In fact, let me read these verses for you again from Ruth 1, verse 16 and 17. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. So at the end of Ruth chapter 1, Ruth and Naomi have traveled back to Judah. And now we pick up here in chapter 2 and we've got Elimelech we've heard about. We've heard about Ruth. We've heard about Naomi. But now we've got this new guy. We got this guy by the name of Boaz. And it turns out he's actually a relative of Naomi's dead husband. This is an important detail. This is something that's going to show up again as we walk through this book, especially in the next chapter. But as of right now, Ruth has no idea who Boaz is or why he even matters in her life or the life of Naomi. So what Ruth does in these first couple verses is she says, okay, Naomi, I need your permission. I want to go out and I want to glean in one of the fields so that we can have food. And if you're not sure, did you guys catch how many times the word glean was used in that chapter? I, I didn't count it, but it's a bunch. I mean, it's almost every other sentence or every two sentences you see there. Gleaning was something that was actually a, a provision was made for it in the book of Leviticus. In Leviticus, you see a whole bunch of laws. That's why it's called the Levitical law. But in Leviticus, I'm not going to read it, but in chapter 19, verses 9 and 10, there was a, a rule, kind of a law given there. Gleaning was this. It was this idea that when you had a field of wheat or barley, when you were harvesting all of that, you would leave some of the grain at the edges or in the corners of the fields so that travelers and widows and orphans and people who were really poor, they could come along behind you and they could pick some of that and be able to provide food for themselves. Now, that, that's exactly what we see uh, Ruth asking for permission to go and do that. Scripture even tells us that they couldn't, they could even just pick the, they would pick what was there on the edge of the fields, but they could also walk through and walk behind the guys that were, that were running the sheaths and, and, and harvesting that grain. And they could pick up the things that were falling on the ground. So they, they had some provision to be able to take care of themselves, but they were really kind of dependent upon the permission of the field owner. Because this, this even though it was given in the Levitical law, there were some people that they didn't do that. They, they weren't kind about that. So they could go to a field and try to glean in that field and be told by that field owner, hey, you need to get out of here. I don't want you here. It's kind of like the fine print. Like if you go to Moe's and you, and you read this thing that says, hey, buy one burrito and get one burrito free. And then in really, really tiny print at the bottom, it says at participating locations only. You go in there thinking, yes, I'm going to get something here. And you find out, oh, I can't do that here. Well, that, that's the possibility that, that Ruth is running into right here. In fact, she even says the words that imply that there's a possibility that she might get rejected. But she goes out anyway. And Scripture tells us she ends up in the field of this guy by the name of Boaz. Now, some people would look at that and think, that's a really lucky break for her. 
But if you know who God is and you know anything about what his word says about him, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you know we're not people that follow a God who just gives lucky breaks. We follow a God who is sovereign. We follow a God who actually knows what's going on in his world. We follow a God who provides for his people. And we see how that provision for Naomi and for Ruth starts to play out in that next verse. Look at what it says in verse 4. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who, young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short time. So the way that Boaz greets the guy in charge here and, and the other workers and the way that they greet him back would give us this idea that Boaz is a guy that follows God simply by that greeting there. And when you look after he has that greeting, he immediately, who, who comes to his attention as soon as he finishes greeting those guys? Ruth. Yeah, for, for whatever reason, she stands out. That gives us the idea, and again, this is, this is speculation. Scripture doesn't tell us this, but it gives the idea that this is a guy who knows what's going on in his field. He knows who's normally there, and he knows who's not normally there. So when he comes out there, he notices this woman, and after he hears his servant's words about who she is, Boaz takes action starting in verse 8. Let me read it all the way down through 13. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or lead this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes? that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Boaz immediately makes the decision that he's going to provide for Ruth. And he does it in, in two ways that she couldn't have done as, as a widowed woman, as somebody that's living alone with her mother-in-law. He offers her two different things that she couldn't have provided for herself. He offers her protection from possible harm. If you remember, what he says right there is he says, I've told the young men in the field to leave you alone. And then later in the chapter, when she's talking to Naomi about what happened, Naomi says, hey, you need to stay in his field because if you go somewhere else, you could be assaulted. Because unfortunately, some people are evil. Let me rephrase that. We're all sinners. Some people act on that on a regular basis. And there's people who will do things to other people that they shouldn't do just because they can. And what Boaz is doing is he's saying, I'm going to protect you from that. But he also offers her provision. 
He offers her grain. He offers her water. He offers her things that she couldn't provide for herself. All of this because Boaz has heard of Ruth and her love for Naomi. He's just heard about the fact that she pledged to follow Naomi wherever she went. He's just heard that Naomi's God is now Ruth's God. And what Boaz does in response to that is what he, he, he begins to do something in the lives of Naomi and Ruth. And what he does with her begins to make sense because you're thinking, why in the world would he do this? He has no reason to. But if you back up and you get a larger picture of who God is and what God is doing here, you start to understand really quickly why Boaz would take any kind of interest in Ruth. Back in Matthew chapter 1, we read through so many names. But in that lineage of names, we've already talked about one of the grandmas of Jesus, and her name was Rahab, the prostitute from Jericho. Listen to Matthew chapter 1, verses 4 or 5. And Ram, the father of Amenadab, and Amenadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. Catch what just happened right there. The woman who was the prostitute in Jericho, the woman who, who made a deal with the spies that said, I, I will help you, I will keep you safe. We've heard about your God. We've heard what your God has done. We've heard how your God has brought you in. We've heard how your God has allowed you to take over these other countries. That's the God that she wants to be a part of now. She says, if, if you will protect us, I will help you, and we're going to become a part of who you are. So this woman, who had not grown up around God, had not grown up knowing the, the Old Testament scriptures that came before her, not knowing who God was, not knowing what he had done other than what she had heard, makes a deal with the Israelites, and this woman is rescued. This foreigner who lived a life that was so far from honoring God is taken into the lineage of God's people. This same woman is Boaz's mother. Boaz, who, who, who takes this, this foreigner, this woman that doesn't belong in his country, much like his mother didn't belong in the Israelite nation, according to outside onlookers. And he shows her kindness. And he shows her favor. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us that that's exactly why he's doing that. But let's just think about human nature for a second. What happens in your past affects the way that you act in the future. And there's no way that Boaz didn't know where his mom came from. There's no way. Because he would have heard the stories of Israel. He would have seen and heard the scripture that's been written about what God did. There's no coincidence here that a man whose mother was brought in as a, a foreigner from a life that did not honor God and grafted into the nation of Israel, into God's people, there's no way that doesn't play into the fact that now he's doing the same thing for someone else. He's looking at Ruth, who's a foreigner, an enemy of his country's people, and he's showing her favor. Because she has committed to stick with her mother-in-law. There's no coincidence here because that's how God works. Oh my goodness, Boaz just happened to be Rahab's daughter. That's not how God works. God orchestrates things in our world. And yes, that does mean sometimes there are things that God allows to happen that are not good things. 
Could God stop all of those things if he chose to? Yeah, he could, but he doesn't all the time. And we don't understand why, and we may never understand why. But what matters is that we're trusting God's plan, no matter what those bad things are, and no matter what those good things are. God is omniscient. God is omnipotent. God is involved with his creation, and there's no way this is an accident right here. And look at what happens next in verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out from the bundles, some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. So Boaz doesn't just do what the Levitical law required for Ruth. Scripture tells us here he goes above and beyond what the law required. Ruth wasn't allowed to just come along behind the guys that were harvesting and pick the grain on the corners and grab the things that were falling on the ground. Boaz says, hey, I want you to go up and I want you to actually be among the people that are harvesting the grain. And I want you to get your grain from there. In fact, he goes so far as to say, hey, guys that are harvesting, I want you to pull some out of your harvest and I want you to give it to Ruth. Boaz is going above and beyond to make sure that she's taken care of here. And then look what happens at the very end, verse 18. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So Ruth goes home. She goes to Naomi. She tells her what's happened, and Naomi's pretty ecstatic here. She's excited because she knows, because of who Boaz is, Naomi knows that God has taken care of her and taken care of Ruth. And then she tells Ruth, hey, this is Boaz. This is a guy that we're related to. In fact, she uses that word there. She refers to Boaz as one of their redeemers. That word's going to come back again. And that word's going to play a very important role because of who Boaz is. You see, guys, we've walked through this entire chapter tonight. So the question is, what does this matter for us? What are we supposed to learn from this? What are we supposed to walk away with when we read through this chapter and see what's happening with Boaz and with Ruth and Naomi? But I want you to think back one more time to Rahab. Let me read you what happened. Joshua 2, verse 8. Just listen. 
Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and to Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will deal also kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. The entire reason that Rahab helped the Israelite spies was because she had heard of what God was doing through them. Listen to her words again. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. She was a foreigner. She hadn't grown up about God knowing about God. Her life, her actions, the way that she lived couldn't really be any farther from the one that would show honor to who God is. Yet she heard about who God was and what he was doing through his people. And because she heard about it, she took it and she believed it and it changed Rahab forever. And because it changed her, because of what God did in her life, it set a course for her future child, this guy by the name of Boaz. Here's why that matters for us tonight. Because if you sit here tonight and you claim to be a disciple of Jesus, if you say you've asked God to forgive you of your sin and you've put your faith and your trust in him and you're following him with your life, you need to understand that the relationship that you have with God, the way that you live that out, that affects other people in your life. A lot of times we think, you know what, me and God, we're good. We've got this understanding and I can kind of do what I want to do. And it's really just between me and God. It's nobody else's business. But we see right here from Rahab to Boaz to Ruth, the way that you live out your relationship with God affects the other people in your life. It affects the people around you. Because that, that, that's how God uses people. He takes people that are far from him and he offers forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ. He works in the lives of his people, his followers, to show other people who he is. And that matters for you and I right now because if you claim to have that relationship, then you need to grasp that that relationship is affecting the people around you. For Rahab, it was the people of God following and being obedient to God that grabbed her attention and turned her affection towards him. Rahab had only heard about God and what he had done, yet she saw how the people of God followed him. And it changed her eternity. And it changed her life. And in turn affected the life of Boaz. And now his life is affecting the life of this woman named Ruth. Your relationship with God is not something you get to live in isolation. Your obedience to God in your own life echoes into the lives of the people around you each and every single day. 
God uses you as a disciple to show people who he is, to show people what it looks like to live a life that honors him, what it looks like to be obedient to his word, how you pursue God, how you live in obedience, and how you live others. All of those love others. All of those things impact the people that are around you. The people that are watching you because you claim to be a Christian. That's a question to think about. What are people learning about the nature of who God is and about his character from what they're seeing in your life? If you sit here tonight and you claim to be a disciple of Jesus, what are people learning about the character and nature of God from your life? Because I promise you, anybody that knows that you go to church, anybody that knows you claim to be a Christian, they are watching you. Because they want to see if this thing is real for you. They want to see how you react when things go wrong. They want to see how you react when somebody gives you a hard time or somebody makes fun of you or the day just doesn't work out the way or you get frustrated. They want to see how you respond because they want to see, is this real in your life? Because if it's real in your life, then maybe, possibly, it could be real in theirs too. They'll never tell you that. But people are watching you if you claim to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. What are people learning about the nature and character of God by watching and listening to you? If, if the answer for you tonight is not one that you are proud to claim, then it may be time to make a change. It, it may be time to spend some more time on your knees before God and asking him to show you how to be obedient to his word. And, and everything I'm saying to you, it goes for me too. If we're going to claim a relationship with Jesus Christ, we've got to be obedient to his word. Guys, those of you who were here Sunday, you got to see two of your peers, two of our young ninth grade men, stand up and be obedient to God's word by getting baptized. And we look at that and think, well, that, that, that's not a big deal. A lot of us in here, hey, I've done that. Okay, not a big deal. But if we're going to say we are people who are following after God, then we have to be obedient to his word. And one of those first steps of obedience after we put our faith and trust in him is to make a public profession that we are following him through baptism. And those two young men did an amazing job sharing their testimony and telling people that. And even invited other people to see that. So now the friends that came that day got to see their obedience to the word of God. They are living it out for real. That's why what's happening here with Boaz and Rahab and Ruth and Naomi matters for every one of us tonight. The way that we live out our relationship with God affects everyone that we're around that is watching us and paying attention to us. If you're here tonight and, and you're thinking through the way you're living your life and, and you may be thinking, well, what people are seeing and hearing from my life isn't really revealing what Scripture says about who God is. Maybe you need to talk to God about that tonight. Maybe you need to spend a few moments on your knees or on your face before God and asking Him to give you the strength to be obedient in every situation around every friend group at every moment of every day. I think we can all use a little help in that area. Some of you may be here tonight and, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Maybe you've never chosen to ask him to forgive you of your sin and put your faith and trust in him. But you're watching the other people in this room because you want to see if it's real in their lives. Let me let you in on a secret. They're going to let you down because we're all sinners. Even the person that we think has it all together has their moments where they fail. But even in their failure, watch and see if they get back up and chase after God. Because that's what matters. To be obedient to his word and to pursue him with everything that we have so that the other people who are watching us, who are listening to us, can see that God is real. And God does love us. And God does give us grace and mercy. And God does forgive sin. And God does forgive our mistakes. And he calls us to be obedient to him and to press into him with everything that we have every moment of every day. And when you do that, people will see it. And people will want what you have in your life. That's what we see happening here. And that's what we're called to do. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. God, we thank you that we can spend time in your word. And God, I pray right now for every single person in this room. God, help us to live it out. Help us to live out the relationship for everyone who's put their faith and trust in you, God. And to remember, God, it's not something that we get to turn on and turn off. Being your disciple, it's a full-time job. There are no off days. God, I pray for each one of us in this room tonight. Help us to stop and take a moment to search ourselves and answer the question, what are people learning about who you are in our lives? And God, if the answer is one that we're not satisfied with, God, show us that. Show us what it looks like to be obedient to you, to honor you. And God, if there's anybody in here tonight God, that doesn't have a relationship with you, Lord, I pray that you'll show them the need for it right now. Show them how much you love them. Show them that you are ready and willing to forgive anything and if you're here tonight and that's you come talk to me when we stand to sing come talk to one of these adults in the room and we would love to show you how God's word tells you that he will forgive you that he loves you and that he calls you to a life that is more than anything you could ever imagine for yourself God we thank you for your son Jesus it's in his name we